Welcome to Project Chatter, the podcast where PPM experts from various sectors talk about the latest trends. Listen to Val and Dale as they talk about tried and tested best practices and share their unfiltered thoughts about the industry. Whether you're here to learn how to progress your career, improve your project control skills, or just want to hear an Aussie and South African rant about projects, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Project Chatter podcast with your hosts, Dale Fung and Val Matthews. In today's economic climate, construction cost and schedule overruns can be disastrous. Innate construction software helps you spot risks before they happen. Their cloud-based solutions give you the real-time insights you need to minimize risk and improve operational efficiency. With Innate, you keep projects on schedule and under budget. Get started today at innate.com. That's I-N-E-I-G-H-T.com. In this week's pod, we welcomed back Alan Mosco to discuss AI in project controls, separating fact from fiction. Alan is the co-founder and CTO of NPlan, where he leads technology, research, and product whilst developing thought leadership about forecasting and risk. Before NPlan, he spent seven years as a technologist in quantitative finance, live trading systems, research, and front office in both high-frequency trading and asset management. Alan has extensive experience in algorithm design and software engineering and holds a B.Eng. in computer engineering, an M.Sc. in computer science and doctoral research in machine learning theory. Well, Dale, a, a returning guest, <laughs> one, one we really enjoyed first time round and, and so good we invited him back. Um, another fascinating pod. What, what were your main takeaways from it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we couldn't go this episode without talking about ChatGPT upfront, right? And um, I thought Alan, as always, um, was amazing at sort of just giving everyone some clarity of what it is and what it isn't, um, but also how it applies, I think, to the controls profession. Um, and then we went into um, all sorts of various rabbit holes, as we always knew we would, you know, <laughs> AI simulations. Um, but I particularly liked the the fiction, and uh, you gave him some a bit of bait, and uh, he, he partially took on on some of it. Um, oh, but yeah, <laughs> what what were the things that stood out for you? Yeah, I, I, I'd echo that. Um, I really enjoyed the the section on experience and bias, and um, the, and around common data environment. I, I won't spoil that for anyone. Um, then we had the kind of usual tech-based questions about whether it will replace humans on projects. Again, no spoilers. No, absolutely, absolutely. Let's leave it there, Martin. You're right. As we always say, folks, keep listening, keep liking, and keep paying it forward. Hello, project people, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Project Chatter podcast. It's always good to have you with us. Uh, We don't have Val with us, as you probably guessed, um, but that's his loss. I think he's off doing some learning, but perhaps our guest can give us a little bit more information about that. Martin, how are you? Yeah, good. Thanks. Yeah, Val seems to have a habit of doing doing learning when when there's a difficult guest who may ask some some difficult questions on. So, uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he does indeed he does indeed and um it only took him three episodes into the new season to to miss one so we'll give him a lot of flack on this one um but before we do or maybe our guest wants to get in on the flack as well mr alan mosca great to have you back how are you doing very very well thanks so much for having me and but having me back so quickly well you know there was lots that we didn't talk about last time and um yeah so we thought the sooner the better i mean we were just chatting before we hit record that with the advent of chat GPT coming to the fore and this episode is quite timely um, because now everyone's like, I think we compared it when I was chatting to some, some other connections of mine where before, I mean, a lot of our, I guess our fathers, grandfathers knew how a car engine worked. They could lift up the hood and they knew that part goes there. And this, I, I don't know how a car engine works, but I know that the car can drive, Right. Um, so I think we're at a similar stage perhaps with ML and AI where people have now seen chat GPT and they've gone, okay, I don't get how ML and AI works, but I understand the benefits now a little bit. Um, is that, is that true to say? 
Yeah, I think, um, you know, to use the analogy of the car back in the day, like back, back, back in the day, when cars were first introduced, there were only a few specialists that knew how they worked, how they worked, right? And then you have this curve where you get to the point where they're seen as this exotic thing, and then gradually people start adopting them. And now the car has become a commodity. And if anybody asks you, what is the point of having a car? You just look at them weird, right? Like everybody understands what's the point of having a car. So that's been um, that's been a sort of journey that, as a new technology, it's gone it's gone through. And I think machine learning and lots of new technologies go through that similar journey. So now we're at that point where people are starting to stop asking. Sorry for the weird phrasing. Starting to stop asking why would you even use AI or AI is never going to take on, take off, or it's never going to work. Um, and believe it or not, up until the middle of the last year, there was still a huge number of people saying this, right? Uh, and so now it's starting to get to that place where like people are starting to understand that there is a new thing that actually is very powerful. So this journey that um, that new technologies have been on where you've had this inflection and at a certain point, it's no longer just the early adopters, right? It's uh, sometimes it's referred to the chasm and this is where we're getting to with, um, with machine learning now. Right. And um, I guess those who are heavily uh, believing like, so a lot of the VCs are actually now pouring a lot of money, you know, even in a down market, we're seeing the largest funding rounds that have ever been, right? I mean, I I wouldn't mind taking some of that money, but um, so you know, any VCs out there that have a couple hundred million dollars spare, you know, I literally just demoed some generative AI for scheduling. Yeah, you come see yeah. it. You're doing some pretty cool stuff, and yeah, I am. <laughs> Really excited to see when you release the, the really cool stuff. I mean, you've got really cool stuff already, um, but yeah, just to add to that, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I won't, I won't let the what, what's the phrase the the cat out the bag, cat out of the bag. I, it, yeah. It's not a secret, right? Like, um, I think before we actually release a lot of this stuff publicly, we have some things that we need to we need to ensure and top topmost is the quality of what's coming out so um and you guys have seen it um some some of the audience might have seen it as well i posted around christmas uh mostly because i'm very very sad and this is what i do when i have free time but i sat down and i thought why don't i write a plugin that interrogates our models in a different way so i can uh, you know if i'm building a schedule can i just auto populate the next activity um, and I did that for Microsoft project. The sad story is that you cannot build a plugin for P6 the same way you can for, uh, well, for any office application, but for um, Microsoft project. And, um, yeah, from there it's evolved, right? Like, so the, the new feature in there is actually you just define top level outline and then we're, you can auto populate it. That would in p6 it would translate to just create the wbs and then we'll fill the activities there's a lot that can go wrong if you do that right and um especially because when these shortcuts start appearing and i'm thinking about chat gpt as well now right there's a there's a lot of responsibility that needs to go in uh at the user end as well right so like what happens if someone just automatically generates a whole schedule for something and it's completely not yeah. maybe completely wrong, but like it doesn't reflect the thing that you want to build, right? Yeah. Um, because you've taken a shortcut and you don't you don't care about checking it, right? So like this is why, for example, ChatGPT won't generate a legal contract without a disclaimer, and it will tell yeah. you go look at go go hire a lawyer to look at it because those things can have repercussions, right? And so sort of we've got to do a lot of work, but we're, we're opening it up to, um, I'm calling it private beta. It's sort of more, 
if it breaks, you're on your own kind of situation. Um, <laughs> this is like a fun toy to play with. It's also not something that we would ever, I imagine, actually sell uh, unless we can get it to a point that you can really generate a schedule from scratch. But like, I don't, I don't see that happening anytime soon. And um, yeah, I mean, if anybody actually is interested, then sure they can come and join our community. Uh, and I'll, I'll promise I'll stop advertising now. Um, yeah, it's 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 really interesting stuff because I'm just thinking, you know, with the with the increased demand of planners or let, let's call them what they are schedulers rather than planners, and we know the difference, I think, on this call, right? I mean, how much worse could could a AI generative scheduling tool be, you know, because it's drawing on past schedules that have been approved. Yes, it's a bit, there's an argument obviously from either side, whether it's context-free or not. But as you say, if you use it in the right way, similar to ChatGPT, ChatGPT is not going to take people's jobs, right? No. People that know how to use ChatGPT will take people's jobs, right? So you want to write a report, let's say, you put in your various criteria it generates something for you. if you just copy and paste that one that's that's not authentic work two that's lazy don't be lazy <laughs> three i mean why would you do that like use it to do the as val would say the low value transactional task so use it to write for you but you need to do the thinking you give it the inputs and then you have to review it and make sure that it's coherent and makes sense and whether that's a chat GPT or a uh, schedule uh, AI schedule tool, it doesn't matter. It's, I think we're talking here about ethics, right? Um, but perhaps you're going down a bit of a rabbit hole. I don't know, Alan, um, if you, yeah, I, I think it's great that you're making that invite open to everyone to say, come and play with it, come and break it. Um, let's see where we can go with it because that, that's just exciting stuff. Maybe I'm too geeky as a project controls person, but I find it hugely, hugely exciting. This is where the, the good planners will really earn their, their money, won't they? The the kind of, you know, the, these are the guys who can really interrogate the schedules and and derive intelligence from it. The ones who are lazy, the, the schedulers of the world, won't notice any flaws in the data because the, it's what the computer says. Yeah, I think I think there's maybe like a caveat here is like obviously like we want you know anyone who's interested in this uh, to come and play with it, but remember that it is. It's the same as ChatGPT in a sense that it's a demo, right? And it's a demo that's just supposed to show that large language models, and in our case, large language models and large graph models have actually a much deeper understanding than we think they do, right? Like ChatGPT is based on GPT-3, which is, you know, over a year old. Um, it's by no means the largest language model out there. There's a lot of a lot of much larger ones, right? There was that um, controversy last year um, with uh, a Google engineer having a conversation with Lambda, which is Google's large yeah, language model, which is a that. lot a lot larger, right? And so, like, we tend to forget though that what large language models are doing is really modeling based on language based on text that they've that they've read right uh and so if you think about like the amount of work that had to go into chat gpt for moderation before they could release it that's sort of like that one year lag is entirely making sure that it's not saying things that are inappropriate or racist or illegal or whatever right or like just plain rude um and that is a huge amount of work because it's learned from text. And, you know, if you look at the amount of text that you can find on the internet, most of it you should not read aloud uh, or not read at all. So that's kind of the problem, right? Um, but we kind of forget because large language models take this, take the input, and they turn it around, right? And so if you look at what ChatGPT is doing, it's very good at understanding the question, right? And that, I think, is really the big step that the LLMs of the last couple of years have figured out, is understanding complex questions and complex con uh, questions with long context, right? So the output is not high quality. What I would define high quality 
compared to what a specialist would do, right? Um, and I think it, I think it was Val actually who reposted, and he's not here to defend himself, so I'll say this. But he reposted this uh, this demo of ChatGPT, and um, I, I don't think it was him who wrote the questions. It was somebody else, and he reposted it with a comment. Um, but it was asking ChatGPT to build an outline schedule with a work breakdown structure in a table. And if you look at it, like, I mean, that is not going to replace schedulers anytime soon, right? And neither are we. Um, it was good from the perspective that it understood the question to the point where, like, you ask it to lay it out in a table and it prints out text laid out in a table format, right? And that is pretty cool. From there to stealing people's jobs, I think there's there's a large gap. And in fact, like, one of the things that we're very good at as a species is changing the definition of our jobs to keep ourselves in a job right there was this vision in the 60s that none of us would have to work longer than four hours a week and instead we worked the longest we've ever had to work so i'm not i'm not worried for anybody's jobs (laughs) we'll we'll find a way to keep ourselves busy right because that's how our society is formed absolutely um idle hands or the devil's playground or something to that effect but um yeah let's let's not go too too far off piste shall we um ai and project controls separating fact from fiction Mm. let's start before we get to fact and fiction (laughs) what is ai in project controls is is it is it is it something that is around and most people don't know it's there is it yet to come what is or is it is, is 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 excel artificial intelligence in project controls because we we did have a guest a little while back that said you know if you showed someone that's scheduled on paper if you show them excel they'd go that's artificial intelligence because they've just never seen it before so is it all relative i guess is my question as well or do we truly have artificial intelligence available today or is it yet to come so that's like that's that's a wonderful analogy um and there's been this joke in the artificial intelligence community. Um, I mean, it's not quite a joke. It's something that like, we all laugh at, though, which is kind of saying that, you know, the bar keeps shifting, right? Once once upon a time, we used to say, uh, I mean, I wasn't around, but it used to be said that true artificial intelligence will be able to play chess better than humans, right? And then in 1994, that happened, and then DeepMind kind of like hit a lot of those milestones afterwards, right? So like uh, with Go and then protein folding and a bunch of other stuff in the in the middle and they figured out Atari games. That was like their first thing. Um, and it's always been the moment you realize how to do it and you kind of like write it off as something that a machine can do it's no longer artificial intelligence by the definition of like what will the future of artificial intelligence be so it's kind of almost saying that artificial intelligence will always be both present and not present depending on what the current definition is um i think most people will accept that llms and deep learning and graph neural nets and all that kind of stuff would be considered artificial intelligence. And it's mostly because now we have a lot of tasks that can be done in a way that's undistinguishable from the methodology that a human would use, right? And then you have to like really start digging into the quality of the output to say like, okay, maybe this is auto-generated and, and there's still some work to do. But actually just doing that cuts so many corners, right? And so this is where the value is. So back to like the initial question of like AI and project controls, I think there's a huge opportunity when obviously not there yet, right? And like project controls, we're sort of definitely not um, the the most forward-looking industry, right? Compared to, to compared to a lot of the others. So and though we try to, right? And so like project controls is sort of like the more um the more forward-looking part of construction, really, right? If you look at like a lot of the rest of construction, it's even less aware of what's happening. 
but these things are starting to change, right? And so there's a lot of exciting, exciting new developments and applications that are coming up. I think in terms of like being specific about AI and project controls, right? I think we're going to start seeing in the next three to five years models that are able to internalize the meaning of what a project is and then use that in several different ways. So um, in fact, like in AI, uh, we start we started talking about things that can be vaguely referred to as world models. So a world model will be like an internal model that a machine learning model will have constructed about the world outside. And it uses that to help itself to answer whatever question is given, right? And so it's sort of like kind of building general knowledge. This is what is now the hypothesis for the large LLMs that can do things you wouldn't expect them to. They have some form of an internal world model, not so much in the consciousness sense, like world models, like we need to be careful because a lot of the time they're used in the context of self-awareness, consciousness, that kind of stuff. And I, I would never argue that current LLMs are. Um, by the way, there's a, if, if you're interested in that kind of uh, philosophical argument, there's a wonderful talk that was given at NeurIPS this year um, by David Chalmers about could language models ever be sentient? Um, and he does it in a, in a fantastic way because it he does it in a way that's, completely free of the gimmicks that you would normally hear. And he's mm -hmm. actually really studying like, what are the criteria that we'd need to satisfy? Um, and the answer is obviously no, right? No, not now, but maybe like in 20 years, we don't know what developments will come. So it also like hinges a lot on belief. So that yeah, is- which I think, Yeah, that's, that's a very, is it one of those where you don't talk about death and taxes and religion, what else? Correct. I can't remember, but yeah. <laughs> right? But it's an, it's an interesting thought exercise. But anyway, like in project controls, then these internal world models can be used in a lot of different way, ways, right? Like we, and the reason why we built this plugin is mostly to show that our models are starting to build an internal world model of construction, right? And infrastructure and engineering and everything else. Um, and so being a, expressing that by being able to fill in missing details, but uh, there'll be other things, right? And maybe we'll start seeing a lot of things on the interfaces. So the interfaces are always where good stuff happens. So if you think about the interface between project controls and design, right? Can, can there be AI that uses its own world model that it's learned about maybe both domains? to create a better interface between the two, right? So call it like a translator, right? Um, and then there's the productivity accelerator kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, could you build an outline scratch schedule or an outline risk register or an outline um, reporting system from just a couple of pointers and a couple of questions and there you go and hit, now you have it. Um, or a set of documents or a contract, all that kind of stuff, right? I think that that is definitely very valuable. And these will be productivity hacks. And this is where we'll start seeing the people that can use these AI, these AI tools to boost their productivity and boost the value that they create will start displacing the people that don't want to use them, right? Um, Here's an interesting one for you. If I jump in there, I was just thinking yeah. as you're chatting because we're talking slightly, you know, belief systems. We spoke a little bit earlier about ethics and things like that. Can developers produce AI tools that are truly unbiased? No, because there's this, there's this so, notion that you know you have a certain bias as a person, a certain window in the world, so you'll you'll write things in a certain way. Is that true, or, or is there ways, techniques that you can work around that because yeah, so, I'm out of my depth here. So <laughs> you can't, I don't, I don't think you can, right? So like the, the true definition of bias is some, it, it's basically a synonym. If you think about it of the world model, like I have biases that lead me to, I don't know, like I ate a bar of chocolate earlier. That is one of my biases. I like chocolate, right? So like, and it's 
it expresses itself in so many ways, right? Because it's part of my world model, right? Chocolate is good. Why is chocolate good, right? That's a whole proxy. If you think about it, it's like the biological process by which chocolate just contains a ton of sugar, right? And that's why we like it. And when we ingest sugar, we get disproportionately rewarded, right? And the biases are shortcuts because like, I don't want to have to go through that entire thought process. And in fact, by the time I finish that thought process, I've probably eaten five bar cho- uh, chocolate bars um, by the end of it, right? Um, <laughs> but biases are everywhere. So, and they're not necessarily bad, right? So like we have but a if, bias. If you're aware of that, could you write in code to say, stop myself from eating? <laughs> five chocolate bars. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so this is what I was getting, right? So in the same way that we try to self-regulate the bad biases, right? So I hide chocolate in a specific cupboard that I only go to when I want the chocolate and it's out of reach. I have to get a little stool, climb up, get the bar of chocolate because otherwise if I put it in the same place where I put tea, which I drink five times a day, I'll be eating five uh, chocolate bars every day, right? So we tend to end up self-regulating in that way. And models can't self-regulate really because there is no prefrontal cortex, which is what forces us to do this. Uh, But you can build in regulation systems afterwards, right? Which is the whole chat GPT moderation. And so, and also you can train it on data sets that have low levels of harmful bias, right? Like there's obviously a distinction between bias that doesn't really make that much of a difference. There's even good biases, right? Like we instinctively look left and right or right and left, depending where you live before crossing the road. That's a good bias, right? You don't have to every time stop and reason from first principles that this is a road and there's full of cars. And even that's a bias, right? Because you see, black tarmac with the white lines and you have to deduct that it's a road and you can rewind that stack all the way up right um but obviously there's harmful biases and the harmful harmful biases we need to protect against and that's where you build the regulation systems in front of the model because even even if you put all the care that, that you want in the data set and filtering whilst training and removing even certain words from the dictionary and making it as impossible as you can for the model to learn something. I found out that like models are very good at figuring out how to say the biased thing. So this is in the, in the open AI documentation about the GPT API. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, a whole bunch of examples for customer service automation. And they uh, they instruct you to use the use an specific, specific instruction to the model to be polite. Um, and they're like, it doesn't matter how many swear words we remove. If you don't do that, it looks like the model is trying to be a particularly clever and funny troll to the customer. So yeah. that and but that's interesting, right? Like, and that obviously comes just from the data set and the fact that it's learned language from us, right? Yeah. And does so we always have to build in controls. Yeah. Is that, does that mean we're we're a little bit screwed and doomed as a as a human race potentially? Who knows? Um, always but- have been, right? Like, if you want to take the pessimistic view, we've <laughs> we've always been terrible. It's not like humans have been good at any point in history. Right. Um, there's always been an incredible amount of savagery, savagery and, and inequality and terrible. Was, was just, that, that was the other thing that popped into mind. I mean, there's obviously security protocols and things like that, but to, to the, those that of us that aren't as well-versed in AI and ML out there, you're thinking, how can I tell the difference if someone's trying to sabotage me or, or if AI or an algorithm is intentionally or unintentionally sabotaging me um, because there's a certain level of instinct, I think, if you're dealing with people. And, um, you know, if you have a, a, a scheduler, a real-life scheduler, real, well, 
like risk manager and they're producing the data based on their skill set and capability and you work with them over time you develop a relationship um mm-hmm. sort of emotional uh i guess connections and you can pick up on vibes and you can pick up on behaviors and things like that um can can you do that with algorithms so I mean, algorithms and machine, I mean, even even like if you go as far as you want with artificial intelligence without sentience, it won't have intentions, right? And so knowing that whether a, a model has good or bad intentions is kind of like a moot question. <laughs> okay. Because, but like, but there is a good question in there, right? Which is, which is why I think we all need to beware is it's not so much the model, right? But a model will always have been produced by someone somewhere, right? So what were the intentions of those who did produce the model? Uh, which is a very interesting question, right? If you look at, um, I think large language models kind of started in the world of uh, machine translation. They didn't just start there. There's like a whole a whole field, obviously, around NLP and, and and language models in general. But we started seeing things like transformers and, and stuff like that come out of um, or contribute a lot to the world of machine translation, right? And if you think about, well, what is the intention of, you know, the biggest player back then in like, like 2018-ish was Google in the machine translation. Like, it's kind of obvious what they're trying to do, right? They're trying to have the best translation models possible because, like, translation is one of their products. And it's actually a product that doesn't quite get the recognition that it deserves. Um, Because now Google's translation engine is almost everywhere. You just just don't see it, right? And, you know, if any of us use Google Chrome, it's got translation built in. That's an incredibly powerful tool. So what's the intention of Google is to build that product. What is that? Well, not biased, but like benefit-oriented intention is that they capture even more data, right? Because you're using the translator, which means that you're putting data in your own language in, uh, and then they can connect it in... English probably wherever they do their primary modeling um, for your existence. So you know, for us it would be English, and if anybody's native in, that, in another language, it'll be in that language. But they can connect all those dots about you, right? So even knowing that I don't know, you don't know Mandarin. Maybe you do, but <laughs> well, I was just about to say I don't think I speak English. I'm still learning. Um, my South African's coming along nicely, <laughs> but as you're talking there. I'm thinking back to your earlier um, comment around interfaces in the in the project control yeah. space as well. You know, if if there was a Google of the project controls sector environment profession that owned the interfaces, the translation pieces, you know, um, that would be really cool because we've said it. I think probably from the first season we started the Project Chatter podcast, Val and I were going. When are tools gonna talk to each other freely? Like, right? When are we gonna see just plug and play? You know, Primavera talking to whatever uh, N Plan Innate, um, all of them. Put them all in the mix, right? All of them. What's the common uh, data environment? Is I don't even know if that's the right terminology, but what is the common thing that will just go? Okay, all these interfaces make sense. And you're smiling, Alan. So maybe you've got in the in the back pocket I've there. Got, but... I've got a couple a couple of opinions about this. So sure. I smile when you said common data environment, mostly because um, I am on an advisory board for the ICE, right? Um, for data and digital, that's the title of the advisory board. And one of the conversations that we had a while ago was around common data environments. Um, and back then, the consensus on that board was that, like, obviously, they're very important, right? So, like, if you have common data formats, common places, et cetera, et cetera. But I think, actually, we're past it. Yeah. Like, where, and this is, like, where, 
to a sense, being the laggard industry has given us an advantage. So, um, and I, I do mean it seriously, by the way. So if you look at, um, you know, African countries, they have not built out a main telephone line network. They don't need to. And they just skipped that effort entirely, right? So we can skip the common data environment effort entirely by having things that don't require explicit integration, right? Like integration, and this is like P6 is the perfect example. I can't build a plugin for P6 unless Oracle have built an API for it, right? Like, and um, there may be that you don't need, so you still need to build the access to your products, right? So then it still needs to be an entry point, but it doesn't have to follow a standard. You don't need to, you don't need to, connect things explicitly and you can have this is by the way i think very very close around the corner having large language model based interfaces between things so and this is where it gets interesting there was a hackathon that i followed the results of like last week uh i can't remember the name of the company but the winning prize was uh, a team that built an entire piece of software Instead of building the backend in the in whatever language like Python or Go or whatever, right? Instead of building the software to manage the data model and all of that, they just told ChatGPT, "This is it." And so there's a whole there's a whole trend now that just use ChatGPT as the backend. So you can use language now as the interface between things, and they should be able to understand each other. Wow. Well, wow. there's, there's, there's so much and um, I'm going to bring Martin in, but before I do, I'm going to tell you a dad joke. At, yes, I'm please. At, uh, I can, because you talk about Africa being laggards as well and I'm African, so it's fine. Um, there was a joke we had where I think it goes, I'm going to butcher it, but it's okay. The, you know, there's an Englishman sort of digs a hole in his yard and it's a hundred meters down and he finds fiber. It's, you know, We've had fiber for 10 years. American digs a hole in his yard. Let's say it's 50 meters deep. We've had fiber, finds fiber. We've had fiber for five years. And the African goes to his backyard and he digs and he digs and he digs and he digs. It's about 1,000 meters deep. He said, for 1,000 years, we've been wireless. Um, Really shit joke. Cue Martin. (laughs) No, but actually, like, it's not even a joke anymore, right? Like, and this is this is very interesting because like the US network infrastructure is now going through a huge upgrade effort. Whereas like if you're building it from scratch, you can build the best one immediately. Yeah. You don't need a 2G network if you can build 5G right now everywhere. Dale loves a good dad joke. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, yeah. Um so we we had um Jeff and Jordan from Innate on a couple of weeks ago on on the podcast and specifically talking about um ai and and collaboration tool sets particularly with um between project controls and commercial and i'd quite like to get your insights in whether you think ai will play a role in potentially managing commercial disputes things like extension of time claims given the kind of conversation we just had around biases what what do you think the art of the possible is so my gut tells instinct tells me definitely yes there will be there will be some way to have something that understands humans and uh, i don't want to over obsess with large language models there's a lot of other stuff right but managing the interface between project controls and commercials specifically right going even like reviewing does this schedule comply with the contract? Very simple question. How much does that cost in specialized skill? And what is, first of all, the probability that they'll get it wrong because there's so much to review and they'll miss something. Very, very plausible. And how much does it cost if they miss something, 
right? It's not, it's not how much their salary is. And like, this is where the interesting point mostly about AI is that it's almost never about automating someone's salary away, right? Um, and I get this question a little bit, like, are we going to replace schedulers at Emplan? Like, no, right? And, and it's not because we can't build a technology that does this. Like, we probably could, and, like, it might take a lot of investment, but you could probably do something that builds schedules well. But what's the point, right? Like, the, the whole point is that, say that, you know, Let's let's pick a random example made up project where you have a million dollars a week or a million dollars a month even of loss if a project's late. Then that one million has paid for the scheduling team over and over again just by saving that month that you could have could have gotten wrong, right? And so there's a lot more value in doing those things. And so it's always about the outcome rather than the output. Um, but rewinding back to like project controls and commercial, then it would be definitely about what are the outcomes, right? So like what outcomes can we keep control of? I think one of the things that I'm looking at is how can we use repetitive forecasting and interpretation of progress of the schedule to inform contractual decisions. So you can start then formulating contracts by including these these extra clauses that talk about this. So it might even just change the contracts to match more what what the view of the future is, right? And um, without getting into things like adaptive or smart contracts that update themselves, but even just something that tells you if this happens, this if this other thing happens this and we will monitor it and you can have those interfaces um something else from a commercial perspective could definitely be more around the financing of stuff right like there's there's this other this other interface between project controls and commercial which is really like call it like the ifc Right, where the commercial team kind of hands over responsibility, really, to a certain extent. And this handover is something that um is something that definitely could benefit from having an AI help that. Right? Like um I don't know the the project that you've been on, but everything that we've seen, like there's there's some disconnect somewhere, right? There'll be like Here's a huge pack. Good luck. This is what we've agreed. Think about tender submissions, right? Even. And so like, yeah, I think I think it can I mean, this is this is going to sound like a cliché answer, but you can literally like sprinkle AI everywhere if you if you if you really want to. Like a nice cake. Yeah. <laughs> Chocolate cake no. for you. Alan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, no, I had my chocolate bar today. I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) And kind of when you're talking about tender submissions there, do you think AI can potentially help with things like WBS creation? You know, you you kind of mentioned some of the technology around um, predicting future activities, successor activities. Could it take contract data and do WBS? I, I noticed a wry smile there. I mean, yes, right? Like, I, 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 I kind of showed you the precursor of that. Uh, just before the call, but I think it's more uh, yes, right. We can we can do that kind of stuff. We can create things faster. I guess it's better though to invest energy and time in creating better things rather than create them faster, right? Like because it's always we're talking about like the built environment, building humans, building things for humans. Mm-hmm. Then we always run at a human timescale, so accelerating things always only means, and this is why we don't work four hours a week, I think, that you do the thing that you would have done in a week in four hours, and now you've got 36 hours to do something else and make it better, right? That's where automation becomes valuable. So there could be, and this is where generative models become very interesting, 
uh, not so much language ones, but generative in general, if we're preparing a tender submission, I mean, we wouldn't, right? But like hypothetical we, um, if we're preparing a, t- a tender submission, what if we generate 5,000 options and then pick the top 25, bring those to a committee, right? And that, and that's where the power comes out in this kind of stuff, not in I'll generate one option in half the time. Yeah. What if we subsidied projects? <laughs> so let me elaborate. We've got powerful computers these days. We have amazing people in the world that can program everything in all the various complexities, environmental factors, commercial aspects and constraints, sustainability targets. Um, every, everything you, you possibly need can be fed into a virtual world for a computer mm-hmm. to then tell you the best design, the best uh, suppliers, the best this, the best that, um, to produce the perfect plan. And then, okay, if I really sort of go perhaps avatar on us, you know, you have these tiny little bots that go out and actually just construct it all for you because it's all pre-programmed. Yeah. Okay, everything minus the bots. Alan. <laughs> could we Could we effectively plan out and have a digital twin with all environmental factors considered um, by a computer and then just follow that as a blueprint. It gives you your time, your cost. Sustainability is obviously a huge one these days as well. It's already mitigated all of the risks for you based on everything from weather conditions to ground conditions to supply obsolescence to works. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that would be, more of a combination of AI and simulation. Like, I think the AI could generate a ton of variants, but then you need a really good simulating environment. And simulation is actually hard. Like, and don't get me wrong, like, AI is not easy. But simulation is harder because with AI, you can make some mistakes. In fact, like, the whole point about machine learning is that it's smoothing over mistakes, right? And so, like, the mistake, oh, there's a mistake, just plug it back in and it'll learn, right? Cloud of smoke, and then you don't have to worry about it anymore. Uh, and it's all uh, it's all um, stochastic and asymptotic. It, but with simulation, it, you actually have to be precise, right? So, like, actually, one of the things that is harder for us at Mplan than um, than the machine learning, and I, I mean, we invest a ton in AI, right? But one of the things that is conceptually hard is the simulation environment, right? Because like we do this weird hybrid of we'll forecast things and then we'll simulate the outcomes, right? And the rudimentary version of that is what what gets done with a Monte Carlo simulation, um, but that has to be very rigorous. And with that rigor comes um, huge responsibility. No, Um, comes (laughs) like a mountain of effort that you have to go through, right? To build the right environments. And they're incredibly complex, right? So you think about, uh, and you know, like you could think about the precursor of this is, okay, like my logical model of the construction is the schedule. And I simulate on the schedule and I have some sort of thing for this, right? Um, then you have things like Alice, which kind of operate in that way, but they're a little bit more aware about space, but it's heavily constrained. And the reason why it's heavily constrained and you have to build the recipes and all that, because otherwise it's intractable, right? Because you have so many different ways that you can combine things, right? You get to like, you know, numbers with a huge number of digits in the exponential for just one dimension. So that's where it becomes really difficult. But you could, right? And like, this is where we're good at doing this in our heads because we take those shortcuts, right? What what we call experience in, in some cases could also be a bias, right? I know that this is good because it works out okay, right? And I've learned about it. 
uh, or you know something else because you've experienced it and learned about it. Those are the biases that actually help you navigate that space, uh, which is why we're still hugely better at the simulating part, right? Um, the generating, in a sense, it's just brute force. You just have to like make as many options as you want. And then if you can simulate well, you just select the best ones. The problem is that you need to keep that number under control. Does that make sense? I know I've gone down a long digression. Um, but would you call a very good simulation engine that knows what shortcuts to take and knows the right heuristics and can model very precisely, would you call that AI? And the answer is like, I don't know. Because um, at some point it might be indistinguishable. At, at the start of the pod, we, we kind of said the name of the episode, separating fact from fiction. In, yeah. What is the fiction? What What are some of the things that you hear that people believe AI and project controls can do? What simply just cannot happen ever and what are some of the things that may happen eventually but are a myth as we speak now? So Martin loves a good novel, Alan. I, I honestly like there's there's a lot. There's a lot that, you know, and we do this for a good reason, but humans tend to create drama and um and we have very pessimistic views, right? And so I think the things that are a little bit more fiction are the AI is going to take our jobs kind of kind of scenario. Um, I think there's a different type of fiction, which is the more dangerous one, right? Because if you ask this question, like even two years ago, you wouldn't got you would have gotten a different answer even from me, right? In fact, like the jump in compute capabilities that we've had for machine learning in the last four years is incredible, which has led to a lot of these developments, right? We have like literally models with hundreds of trillions of neurons, um, which is just an unthinkable number, right? But the other fiction is because we're in that space where like a lot of it seems like it actually is plausible now. Right, like, and I actually had a GPT model writing me an insurance contract last night, and it was kind of believable. Like, you know, it's no secret that we're working on ways of ensuring the outcomes of projects. Like, I was like, let's see what comes out of GPT. Like, can we actually have a model that generates all our insurance contracts for us? Maybe. Like, I, I, I'm starting to think that we could build that. Should we? That's a different question. Um, is there any point? But if we're talking about the, the believability of like how good could the AI be, we're now at that stage where like the lines are very blurred. And so there's this other type of fiction which cashes in on that, right? Because like, can you disprove that some of the people that are saying that what they do is AI isn't just a fancy regression or something like that, right? Like uh, things that a the AI cannot do, will not do because they're physically impossible. There is one and it's predicting the future. And I, I'm fully aware that me saying this uh, might be in contrast with everybody's perception, perception of what does M plan do, but predicting the future and forecasting possible outcomes are very different, right? Yeah. Uh, so Mplan will never tell you this is what's going to happen, right? We'll tell you this is what could happen. These are some probabilities, and these are some points of interest. If anybody tells you anything with any deterministic certainty, they're either lying to you or themselves, right? Uh, and there's like... Lots of other other things in that in that vein of like calling something AI that isn't, and I think that is we that is something that we need to start becoming hyper aware about because to a certain extent, if it's not AI, then what is it, right? And if it's just 
overselling something by attaching some fancy words to it, but it actually is something unsophisticated. As long as it produces a good benefit, I'm okay with it. But you could start seeing organizations overplay that with, call it like a dishonest interest. Right. Have have yep. you got an example of that where something is labeled as AI without um, um, having any commercial implications? Yeah. Mm. Um, let's see. We might need uh, that AI commercial that, tool sooner than. Yeah, I don't <laughs> want to get sued as a result of being on uh, on this podcast. Um, well, so I, just, I won't. There's a disclaimer, Alan, that everything you say here is your own opinion. It's not attached to any organization that you may or may not be um... great so i get sued personally (laughs) (laughs) um but like i think like if anybody approaches you saying like this is the ai that that we have an ai that does this um it's if they say say they're like and there's there's a couple of companies that just do this now and they're actually some of them are very successful and raise a huge amount of money but there's companies that just build products based on chat GPT and they use the open AI API completely. Right. And there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. Right. And they are to a certain extent, AI companies in the sense that they built an application. I would say that they're AI product companies, which is different. Um, but you could easily have, you know, someone builds some Excel automation, hides it very well, calls it AI. Um, to what extent do you care about the fact that maybe you've paid a price premium for that or you have inflated expectations of something and you're going to get disappointed later, right? So I guess like the advice is like go look at their track record, right? And I, of course I would say that, but <laughs> go look at the track record in machine learning, in AI, right? Like if someone claims to be what, if someone claims to be a duck, they better be quacking. <laughs> you can you can uh, you can reuse that one by the way uh i think val does a lot of quacking um maybe he's a duck it's um, okay but... it's okay he's learning to quack right he's uh he's asked me for some pointers um and i'm gonna share it because he's not he's not here today he's asked me for some pointers to where i go and learn and a lot more machine learning so i gave him a couple of, a couple of tips um so maybe that's what he's doing now who knows Maybe, maybe. Who knows? Who knows? We'll we'll find out. Show on up the- at, he'll show up at the end of the recording with like, "Hey, I've learned all of this, and you're wrong, and this is why." And I'll be, I'll be shown a fool, and I'll be very glad for it. Well, you know that what? Be- we we are the only fools on this on this podcast. Myself, Phil, and Martin. Um, we we the village idiots because we tell stupid dad jokes. We ask the dumb questions, all for the listeners' benefit. Hopefully. Um, but it's 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 a, it's been a hell of an interesting discussion because there, I, I still think it's just the iceberg. Um, yeah, and I think there's a lot. There, there there is still plenty of fact and fiction to be uncovered. I think because at this point of the at this stage of the game, I think we're 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 wowed by technology. But I think we've touched on a few topics around ethics, intention, um, biases, and things like that. So it's hell of in- I mean, it, th- those watching on YouTube probably will see my uh, my AI in my webcam. It's got gremlins in it and it's not working properly. So you know, it's got bad intentions, dude. I was just about to say, what was the intention of the person that you know developed this uh, the software for GoPro? But anyway, I didn't name check anyone there. Um, <laughs> look we 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 have spent the best part of an hour with you alan as always you know it's never enough time on on this topic um were there any kind of final bits you want to cover or or share around this this topic of ai and project controls fact versus fiction so i think the fact versus fiction is going to be mostly about how much do you believe the person in front of you Right, the person claiming we've got an AI that can do X, and we've seen the temperatures warming up a little bit, which is great. Right, yeah. uh, typically, M plan has always been 
on the receiving end of no, that's impossible. You must be lying that, that kind of statement. Um, and people are starting to warm up obviously because like, if you now look at chat GPT, like what we do is extremely believable now. Um, so that is great. I think as people start to warm up and build enthusiasm, don't forget to be a critic. I think is the important start, stuff, right? Like we, we, we're starting to see people being over enthusiastic about chat GPT and generative models as if, like, I mean, this is technology that's been around for four years now. Mm. Um, but you know, the, it, it looks like they've just gotten onto the fact that, you know, mid journey exists. Uh, so mid journey is one of the best, um, image generating models. And, it's not going to end the world. I think that's probably an, an important statement. It's not going to end people's careers as long as they start incorporating this knowledge, but also just be a critic, right? Like the fact that mid journey can generate high resolution pictures doesn't mean it's going to replace architects or the fact that chat GPT can generate that summary schedule that we saw in, uh, in Val's repost doesn't mean it's going to replace schedulers, right? It means it may, might make some people's life a little bit easier, but, you know, I mean, it can fill in a risk register as well. It's not going to replace risk people because, you know, the you've seen quite a few risk registers in your life as well, Dale. Yeah. They can get pretty big and pretty detailed and pretty precise, right? So just don't forget that you're the expert at your job and actually take a critical eye to what's coming out. Don't don't let yourself be fooled by the enthusiasm that you feel from like, oh, this is cool. Because then if yeah. you look at the details, there's still a lot of work to be done. No, absolutely. And I feel like you've teed us up for a, a lovely next follow-up episode on risk. Um, because, yeah, we could probably talk for another few hours around risk management and what that all means. But look, um, as always, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, again, learned so much just chatting to you. Um, I know we have our, our outside of podcast catch-ups as well, and, and that's also always a pleasure as well. And so thank you for your generosity and just sharing, you know, with everyone um, and, and just trying to, you know, I, I guess give people perspective um, of, of what is, is out there um, because a lot of the times it is confusing um, and someone, you know, of your ilk that, that comes out and shares their views, I think is really, really important to add to the industry and to the profession. So we really, really do appreciate your time. But before we do let you go, we, we're not going to take you through any surprise, you know, uh, pop quizzes or anything, because we've took you to your paces last time. But we will <laughs> ask you if you have any final thoughts for those listening. Um, final thought is keep an open mind to what's going to come in the next couple of years, I think. Yeah. And watch this. I think if, if the past four years have taught me anything, the next four are going to be even more exciting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And we'll get the popcorn at the ready um, because it's going to be an interesting movie yeah. to watch, whether it's fact or fiction, I think. Well, look, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, as I say. Alan, thank you so much for your time. Um, we, we will look to have you back in, in the future. We, we won't predict when um, because we can't, perhaps. Um, <laughs> maybe AI can. We won't go down <laughs> that, that rabbit hole. <laughs> but no, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll, keep, we'll keep it open. And thank you again very much uh, for your time. Thanks. Thanks a lot, guys. Well, there you have it, folks. That is all the time we have on this episode. But remember, before you go, please do help us pay it forward by sharing a link to this episode on your favorite social media. Once again, a massive thank you to our guest, Mr. Alan Mosca, and thank you all for listening. Till next time, we say stay safe, be disruptive, and have fun doing it. From me and Martin, it's bye for now. Project Shadow supports and is a member of Zero Construct. Zero Construct is a new working group that wants to lower carbon construction not everyone will be aware, but construction contributes to around 12 to 15% of total carbon emissions. This is a staggering amount and we need to reduce it. We are a growing community of people that want to help make this change. Everyone is welcome, whether you're an engineer, contractor or consultant. You just need to want to make a difference. Our aim is to grow a network of experts so we can all learn from each other and make a positive impact in the places where we work. 
We'll do this by sharing knowledge and making it accessible in engaging ways. To join us and find out more, please visit zeroconstruct.com and register as a member. Thank you, and we look forward to speaking with you soon. For more information, blogs, or to support our charities, visit projectchatterpodcast.com. And if you would like to sponsor the podcast, get in touch via our website. You can also leave us a voice message via our anchor page and let us know if there's something or someone specific that you would like on the podcast. The views, thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the participating individuals and not necessarily to the individual's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. Additionally, any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual.